a joyous witness of the transcendent dignity, glory, power, authority, and reign of the risen Christ. Amen? Turn with me to God's word this morning from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. This holy week, we've been focused on Mark. Palm Sunday, we heard a message from the gospel of Mark on the triumphal entry and the events surrounding the triumphal entry. This past Good Friday, we focused on Mark's account of the crucifixion and the burial. And this morning, we will focus on Mark's account of the resurrection, Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Before we read God's word, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we commit ourselves to you. Teach us to fear that we might have joy that overflows. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, God's word for God's people. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, that is Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thus far, the word of God. You may be seated. Sometimes a story that you may be reading in a book or maybe a movie that you're watching on TV, like a movie that Renee and I watched recently, and it just ends abruptly, and it leaves the reader or leaves the audience kind of hanging in limbo, hanging as hanging off of a cliff. There's no sense of resolution, and one is left with all kinds of question marks. How did things turn out? What happened to this character or what happened to that character? And of course, will there be a sequel? Well, what about the Gospel of Mark? Many Bible translations, including the one from which I'm preaching today, the English Standard Version, put Mark 16, 9 through 20 in double brackets. And what those double brackets indicate is that the translators doubt that verses 9 through 20 were part of the original gospel of Mark. Now, the content of verses 9 through 20 do not contradict with any scriptures, and in fact, the things in verses 9 through 20 are found in other parts of scripture. And we would also uh, say that including or not including verses 9 through 10 does not alter any point of doctrine. 
And so for our purposes today, and I am of the camp that believes that the end of Mark is chapter 16 and verse 8, we will consider the ending, the closing scene of Mark's gospel ends abruptly with the women running out of the empty tomb, terrified, astonished, seized with fear. And we need to ask the question why. The good news is this, the other gospels round out the story for us. The rest of Scripture rounds out the story for us. We need no sequel to Mark's gospel. We've got the full account of God's Word, but we need to see what Mark is wanting us to see in this abrupt ending. It has a purpose, and Mark's purpose, I believe, is to highlight fear is a proper and necessary response to the empty tomb. And so we'll look at Mark, we'll look at three things concerning Mark. First of all, the women's expectation. They did have expectations as they were planning to journey to that tomb on that first morning of the week. Secondly, we will consider what the women discovered when they actually got to the tomb on that Sunday morning, the first day of the week. And then thirdly, we'll consider their response how do they respond to Jesus' body not being in the tomb? And how might that operate in our lives today? So first, let's consider the women's expectations. What do they expect? Simple. They expected to find the tomb sealed with that large stone with Jesus' body inside. If we look at Mark chapter 15, just the passage that comes before Mark 16, Mark 15, 42 through 47 gives the, bur the burial account in this gospel. The Sabbath would begin at sunset on Good Friday, and the laws concerning Sabbath observance as well as the laws and rituals concerning burial necessitated that Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus before the Sabbath began, before the sun went down on that Good Friday, so he did not have much time. After Pilate consented to Joseph receiving Jesus' body, Joseph, and we know from John 19, John's account of the burial, that Nicodemus from John 3 fame was also involved in the burial. In fact, Nicodemus bought 75 pounds of spices to be used in the preparation of Jesus' body, which Joseph and Nicodemus did. They took the linen, they took the spices, they applied the spices, and they wrapped Jesus' body. They placed him in the tomb, and they sealed the tomb with a very large stone. And we learned the stone was large because of what the women reported in chapter 16 and verse 4. So that's the end of Good Friday. Jesus is in the tomb. Now comes the end of the Sabbath, Mark says in verse 1, after the Sabbath had ended, that is sundown on Saturday, the markets would have been open, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and also Salome, they were able to go to the market and to buy spices 
that they would need to anoint Jesus' body the following morning, the first day of the week. And though the Jewish custom, as we learn from John chapter 19, had been followed in preparing Jesus' body, his body had not been anointed. And so these three women were tasked and wanted to, to make those preparations as well. Now, what's interesting about this is that several days earlier, and we actually read about this in Mark chapter 14, that Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, refer to John 11 for that, that she anointed Jesus' feet with very expensive oil. And remember, uh, she caught flack for doing that, wasting that expensive oil on Jesus. But in, in Mark 14, verses 6 through 8, this is how Jesus responded to Mary as she anointed his feet at Bethany. The Lord said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. You will not always have me. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus was anointed in life. Early on the first day of the week, according to Mark's gospel, Sunday morning, the third day since the crucifixion and burial, the women journeyed back to the tomb. We know the two Marys observed the burial. We learn about this in Mark chapter 15 and verse 47. They had seen Jesus' body placed prepared and placed in that tomb, and that stone rolled to seal the tomb on that Good Friday. And three days later, they were about to do an act of exceptional love and devotion. These women had cared for Jesus in life. Look at chapter 15, verse 41. And now... They cared for Jesus in death. And I think we can all appreciate the fact that what these women did was a beautiful thing indeed. Love and devotion. At the same time, their expectations were a faithless thing. The purchase of spices and the journey to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, and their concern, who was going to roll that big rock away so we can go in and anoint Jesus' body, clearly shows they expected to find the tomb sealed with Jesus' body inside. They should have expected what? He is risen. While they went to do a beautiful thing, at the same time, their expectations represent faithlessness. In Mark's gospel, Jesus spoke of his death and resurrection no less than four times. Chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 9, and chapter 9, verses 30 through 32, chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, and then chapter 14, verse 25 at the anointing of Jesus' feet by Mary at Bethany. 
while the anointing is a beautiful picture of love and devotion, yes. This text is also a sober reminder of how easy it is to lack faith in Jesus. To expect too little of him. Even the wrong things of him. The last thing that we may expect as we seek Jesus is a risen Christ in transcendent dignity and glory and power and authority and reign. Like the women, we may demonstrate acts of great love and devotion towards Christ while at the same time lacking faith by expecting too little of him or the wrong things of him. And the last thing we may expect is a risen Christ in all of his glory. What are your expectations concerning Jesus? Second, the women's discovery, when they had finally reached the tomb, crushed, destroyed their expectations and realigned their expectations to the truth regarding Jesus. He is risen. They expected to find a large stone sealing the tomb. Their concern about who would move this large stone became a moot point. What they found was the large stone rolled back, verse 5, and we learn from Matthew's account of the resurrection in Matthew 20, or the resurrection in Matthew 28, where Matthew says the power of God rolled that stone away through the means of an angel and an earthquake. So the mere fact that the stone had been rolled away is a witness and testimony to the power of God. They expected to find Jesus' body where they had observed him being laid late on that Good Friday. And what they found when they entered a tomb was a young man sitting on the right side, the text tells us, dressed in a white robe, and no sign of Jesus' body. Luke and John give more details about the resurrection in their Gospels, and they actually cite two angels. Matthew and Mark reference only one. There's no contradiction here. It's just Matthew and Mark just reference one of the two angels that were there. But what's important would be the role of these heavenly beings that attended the tomb. And the role of this heavenly being was to conform that Jesus indeed had filled his messianic mission, that he had fulfilled that mission according to the four predictions that he had already made in the Gospel of Mark. Those predictions about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The glorious news the young man heralded to the women even that glorious news that has reverberated throughout human history and is reverberating today, even in this sanctuary, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place, the empty place where he was laid. What glorious news that is. What a declaration and proclamation that should promote joy in those who follow Jesus Christ. 
Another role of this heavenly being was also to charge the women to tell the disciples and others what they had witnessed that morning. These three women had already witnessed the crucifixion, Mark 15, verse 40. They witnessed the burial, Mark 15, verse 47. And now in Mark 16, they are witnesses of the resurrection. They were to testify to Jesus' promise, for Jesus made this promise to the disciples that he would see them in Galilee after the resurrection. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 28. They were to testify to the disciples that indeed Jesus would meet them in Galilee. Why? He is risen. He is not here. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, three women are given the honor in Mark's gospel in being the first, first-hand witnesses of the resurrection. They were charged to go and tell others what the young man said to them in verse 6, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he is risen, he is not here, see the place where he laid. The witness to the discovery of the empty tomb crushes faithless expectations about Jesus and realigns them with the truth about Jesus. And the fundamental truth about Jesus is this, he is risen. He is not in that tomb. He is alive today. This was true for the women, the three women, go and tell. And brothers and sisters, this is true for us today. Go and tell the good news. He is risen. He is not in that tomb. He is alive. The significance of the discovering the tomb empty and this morning as we rediscover the significance and the realities of the empty tomb is realized in this charge that was given to the women to go and tell. To go and tell, but now with their expectations realigned to the truth about Jesus. So here's the lesson for us today. That we are to be witnesses, like these first-hand witnesses. We base our witness on their first-hand account, on their testimony. That's recorded in Scripture. We're to be witnesses of the empty tomb. But as with these women, and it's true with us, our witness, our testimony is fueled by the truth. He is risen. Expectations that have been realigned to the realities of the empty tomb. Like the women, we are charged to witness to the transcendent dignity, glory, power, authority, and reign of the risen Christ. Third, the women responded initially with fear. And fear is a proper response to discovering the tomb is empty. Mark 16 verse 8 tells us that the women remained silent initially out of fear. Matthew's account records that the women did not remain silent for long. 
they responded to the angel's charge by reporting Jesus' resurrection to the disciples. Look at Matthew 28 and verse 8. I've read some commentators that said, well, by the women remaining silent, they were being disobedient. I don't believe that. I believe Mark has a purpose in the women being so fearful they could not even speak. It was not disobedience. It was a witness. It was a testimony to the realities of the empty tomb. Further, we learn from Matthew that the women responded with joy. They were silent, then they spoke. They were fearful, then they became joyful. Again, look at Matthew 28. And so we learn from this that we must not remain silent. We must joyfully proclaim He is risen. Our greeting this morning, Derek started out our worship service with this greeting, Christ the Lord is, is risen. He is risen indeed, was the refrain. The hymns that we have sung about this morning resound with notes of joy. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Joy and not keeping silent about the resurrection are necessary, proper, biblical responses to the empty tune, undeniably so. But the abrupt ending of the Gospel of Mark was intentional and it was designed to highlight two other appropriate and necessary, though unexpected, responses to the empty tomb, fear and silence. The text tells us in verse 8, they went out, that is, went out of the tomb and fled, trembling and seized with astonishment, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Mark ends abruptly with they were afraid picture with me if this were a movie that we just had a a we just stopped the the picture right at this concluding moment we had a still frame of the women fleeing the tomb noticeably fearful stricken with fear to the very core of their being and we just see this open entrance to the tomb, likely dark inside. That's the end. That is the scene. And if we had no knowledge about what was going on, if we knew nothing about Jesus or the resurrection, or we had no clue as to what the women were doing, we might rightfully ask what on earth made them so fearful as they were in that tomb. And the reality is, it wasn't the young man that was there. It was the absence of something <laughs> that made them so fearful they could not even speak. The purpose of Mark, and we must not miss this, is for us to just sit before that still frame and peer into that empty tomb, that place which resulted in those women being wracked with fear and ponder the realities of the resurrection. To ponder the realities 
of he is risen. We are to put ourselves at that place, to ponder, to grasp the gravity of the significance of that very moment. Godly fear, reverential fear should well up in our souls as we peer into that empty tomb and ponder the realities. He is risen. He is not here. We are to ponder the power of God declared in the empty tomb. Paul pondered this in Ephesians 1 verses 19 through 21. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in us in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. We are to ponder that the age of salvation has come in the cross and the empty tomb. Paul said this in Romans 4.25, Christ who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Albert Moeller wrote this about Romans 4.25, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead means that the Father in raising Christ from the dead was declaring that the atonement that he had accomplished on the cross meant that sin had been paid in full. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Father was the Father's vindication of the work of the Son. This means the age of salvation has come. It could not come merely by the cross. It could not come by the cross without the resurrection. And when I peer into that empty tomb, what I see is that I should have been on that cross. The spilling of my blood should have paid for my sin. I deserved every ounce of God's wrath to be poured out on me in all fury and holiness. That's what I deserve. God's justice will be satisfied. And the empty tomb says the sinner that is in Christ doesn't satisfy it. Christ Jesus himself satisfies the, ju the justice of God. He bore our sin. And he suffered the wrath we deserve. That should silence us all. That should cause us all to tremble. That if it were not for Jesus, I would have no hope. But we have hope because of the realities of the cross and the empty tomb. We are to ponder the realities of the transcendent dignity, glory, power, authority, and reign of the risen Christ. The one who condescended himself into humiliation is the very one who was exalted in the resurrection and in the ascension to the right hand of the Father to reign and to rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we ponder the empty tomb, we ponder this, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Speaking of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I can't read this without trembling a little bit. Because one day the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who condescended and ascended, is going to return as the king to judge. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But for those of us who are in Christ, we will stand justified. Every knee will bow, even those who have rejected Christ, who deny Christ, who have profaned his name, will bow before him. And brothers and sisters, we have the privilege today to bow before Jesus in our hearts and to address him as our king and our savior. And think of what it will be on that day when the Lord Jesus returns. And we rejoice in our King, our Savior, coming to consummate all things. I tell you, when we ponder these things, we should tremble. Mark may be emphasizing Fear should be the initial response to Christ. J.C. read from Psalm 111 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. In Mark 9, 6, the reality of the transfigured Jesus struck Peter first by fear. The reality of the resurrected Jesus flooded Thomas first and foremost with fear in John 20 as he placed his fingers in the wounds of Christ. And, and how did he respond? my Lord and my God. Mark's ending does not teach fear is the only response. Joy is a proper and necessary response. Matthew captures that. In Matthew 28, 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. So Mark isn't saying joy shouldn't be part of it. Of course it should. But what Mark is saying what Mark's concern is in my judgment is that we too often lack fear. We may treat Jesus more as a good buddy than as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Too much of Christianity in our day is casual. Casual not only in the outward things but more importantly casual in our hearts coming to worship. We can be very casual towards Christ in our daily relationship 
with him? Where is our outrage for our sin? Where is our fear over our sin? Fear, godly fear, that would lead us to Christ in repentance. We can be so casual in our relationship with Christ that our sin doesn't even bother us. As we come to worship both privately and corporately and live in relationship with Jesus throughout the day, Mark would show us our need to realign our expectations about Jesus by sitting for a while where his gospel ends with the women fleeing in fear and all that is left is an empty tomb and ponder the realities of that empty tomb that our expectations might be realigned that we would ponder the realities of the transcendent dignity, glory, power, authority, and reign of the risen Christ. Mark's ending shows the women stricken with fear at first. They could not speak. Their silence did not last for they did speak boldly and joyously of the realities of the empty tomb. He is risen. But here's the lesson that I want to leave with us this morning. Godly fear fuels the faithful, joyful witness of these three women. And godly fear is to fuel our faithful and joyous witness of the transcendent dignity, glory, power, authority, and reign of the risen Christ. Ponder the empty tomb. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I would ask that you would be gracious and merciful to us in showing us all that the empty tomb proclaims. And Father, though we are so joyful and grateful for the realities of the resurrection, but Father, I, play, I pray that we would not leave this place without pondering the significance and the realities of that empty tomb to the extent that fear would well up in us. And out of that fear that we would then have our expectations about Jesus realigned. He is risen. And that should affect every aspect of our lives, every molecule of our person. And that we then with faithfulness and great joy would go forth witnessing both in word and deed your transcendence, your dignity, your glory, your power, your authority, and your reign, O risen Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.